Welcome, welcome, welcome on this glorious holy Shabbat. I would like to welcome you to the Science of the Covenant podcast. Once again, all praises to the Most High Yahuwah and His Son Yahusha. I am Boyce Washington, and on the other side of me is the Pastor Richard Washington, and we are Psychov or the Science of the Covenant. Now, as the podcast is going on, or if you're listening after it is live, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to either email your question or comment. If you're watching live, feel free to put it in the chat. But if you don't feel comfortable putting it in the chat, send us an email and we will get to your questions or comments. You can email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. And before we get started, we're in September already. And in a few weeks, as you know, is the Feast of Trumpets. So we want you to come worship with us on September the 28th and celebrate the Feast of Trumpet with us. We, uh, we will have the times coming up soon. Hopefully we'll have the times for you next week of the time that we will have the service on September the 28th. So mark that on your calendar, September the 28th, we'll be celebrating the Feast of Trumpets. So as you know, we've been studying with the pastor has been giving us a great series on the science of the seed. And pastor, uh, so this, we are, I believe, on 11, science of the seed. Yes, that's correct. Mm -hmm. And I will turn it over to you. Okay, thank you. Uh, so we're going to continue. I'll just remind you of the fact that we have been dealing with uh, three time frames. We dealt with the uh, pre-creation time frame in which we we're trying to point out how Yeshua was the son of Elohim even before he came to this world. And I'll be doing some re-emphasis on that today. And now we in what you call the present uh, creation time period in which we go from Genesis all the way up until the restoration of a new world. So that means that even during the millennium, we are still talking about the present uh, creation in the sense that we won't have a new creation until they destroy the old world and the old heavens and make a new world and a new heaven. And then that'll start uh, the next time frame. So that's what we're looking at. And so what we want to do today is to continue to give both an understanding of Yahuwah and his son and how he is the son of Elohim even today. And so we want to look at that aspect as we continue in this time frame of the present creation. So just before we go into our our discourse, let us have a word of prayer. Eternal Father, we thank you for another Shabbat. And as we have entered into the Shabbat, we ask for the forgiveness of any sins that we've committed, any transgression or trespasses or iniquity, Lord, that we have engaged in, that your blood may cover us, wash us, make us clean, and the water of the word, Lord, may continue to rinse us and make us pure vessels to be able to receive your Holy Spirit that takes the life of Yeshua and interwoven it into our lives that we may be sons and daughters of yours. Now, Father, as we go into this 
into this discourse, we ask that you would be with the host who directs that he may be able to do the things, Lord, that you have gifted him to do. Bless each listener. Bless him who shall speak, that he may be able to articulate the things that you would have him to. And when this discourse is over, may each one of us be the better for it. Pray this prayer in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. And amen. Amen. So, you know, as we have discussed in one of our earlier discourses, it was concerning the question, which came first, the chicken or the egg? And if you can remember that discourse, and you can always go back to it, uh, it was stating in that particular discourse uh, how we look at the plants and animals and the human beings that when we looked at those particular uh, species, that the egg came with the plant, the animals, and the humans. Now let us turn to Genesis chapter 1. And in Genesis chapter 1, we want to look at a few verses there. Here in Genesis 1, we want to look at verses 11 and 12, Genesis 1, chapter uh, chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. So here, what we have in verses 11 and 12, it says, And Elohim said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed was in itself upon the earth, and it was so, and the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind, and Elohim saw that it was good. So here we see in the botanical world that Elohim had made uh, uh, the plants, and when he made the plants, he made them with their seed. So when we talk about talking about the fact of which came first, we know that they came together. One was not before the other. And then we also read further in verse number 21 of the first chapter of Genesis. And it says, And Elohim created great wells and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And Elohim saw that it was good. Okay. And then when we read in there, it is also talking about and the water creatures and the and the and, and and the fowls and it goes on further to say in verse 24 and 25 of Genesis chapter 1 he said and Elohim said let the earth bring forth a living creature after his kind cattle and creeping thing and the beast of the earth after his kind and it was so and Elohim made the beasts of the earth after his kind and the cattle after their kind and every Thing that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and he saw that it was good. So what we're seeing here is that everything that he made to multiply and to replenish the earth had a seed within the male in order to be able to produce more of its kind. Now, every plant, animal, and human possess a seed which would make a species after its kind. This is because the seed came along with each kind of the species. So the seed is not 
something that was given after the species were created in order for any species to reproduce after its kind. This meant that the seed was already in the particular species for the mere fact that Elohim spoke creation and he said that everything that he created would reproduce after its kind. That meant that already he had put the seed in there to do that. Now, in this discourse, what we want to logically point out is how did Yah have a son in human flesh? Yeshua, in the Gospel of John alone, is referred to as Yah's son in a number of instances in the Scriptures. So what we are seeking to uh, do is to point out how he is the son of Elohim. And what we want to do is look in this present age in which we're living, when he came to this world, how they referred to him. So what we want to do is turn into the Besorah of John or the Gospel of John. And we want to look at John, and we want to look at a few verses there in John. We're looking at John 3, 16 through 18. Now notice what it says here. In John 3, 16 through 18, it says, For Elohim so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For Elohim sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of Elohim. Okay, now, what we have seen in those verses is, is that Elohim himself, when he spoke from heaven, he claimed Yeshua as his son, okay? So when he claimed him as his son, he's letting us know that he sent not his son into this world to condemn it, but he sent his son into this world to save the world for those who will believe. And in verse 18, he points out that if you don't believe in the only begotten son, that you are condemned, but if you believed in the only begotten Son, then you can be saved. Now, what we're looking at is that we must understand that when Yeshua was in heaven, he was he was he was he was purely Elohim. He was purely God when he was in heaven. That's what he was. But when he came to this earth, was he still? considered to be Elohim or considered to be God? Well, when he came in to this world, apparently he must have still been Elohim because Elohim said himself that he is my son. Okay. Now, in the same first, third chapter of Genesis, I mean, not Genesis, but John, we want to look at verses 35 and 36. It says, The Father loveth the Son and has given all things in his hand. He, has he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of Elohim abideth on him. So what we are seeing here again, it, 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 it is saying that he is the Son of the Father. 
Okay. That's before the, that was even before he became the son of man. He was the son of the father. Okay. And so John is making it clear that he is Elohim's son. He is Yah's son. Okay. Uh, now we now we want to turn into John chapter nine. John chapter nine, and in John chapter nine, we're going to look at verse number thirty-five. Now notice what it says here. John nine thirty-five says, "And Yeshua heard that they had cast him out." Talking about the man that he had healed that was blind, and they cast him out because he was professing that Yeshua not only healed him but he believed in him. And it says, "And when he." had found him, he said unto him, does thou believe on the son of Elohim? Okay, so he found the blind man that had been cast out of the synagogue because he believed on Yeshua. But remember, he was blind, and when he had received his sight, he didn't know who Yeshua was. So the Bible says uh, when Yeshua had found him, he asked him a question. He said, "Do dost thou believe on the son of Elohim? Now notice, he said, do you believe on the son of Elohim? And he answered in verse 36 and said, who is Yehoah that I may believe on him? And Yeshua said unto him, thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. So when he identified himself as uh, the one that was talking to him, who had given him sight, he said, I am the son of Elohim. And so he confessed that he believed in him. So again, we see in this particular passage that he, Yeshua himself, referred to himself as being the son of Elohim. Now we notice in John 3.16 and 18, we notice that they, the father himself, recognize him as his son. And the son is is also recognizing himself as being the son of his father. Now, we also want to look at uh, uh, the Besora or the Gospel of John in the same book. And this time, we want to go to chapter 10, the Gospel of John, chapter 10. And in chapter 10, we want to look at verse number 36. Okay, John 10, 36 says this. It says, say ye of him whom the Father has sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest because I said, I am the son of Elohim. Now, remember the last discourse, I believe we dealt with that blaspheme. In other words, they saying that he is saying something wrong because I said, I am the son of Elohim. Now, as I pointed out earlier, uh, that if he had said he was not the son of Elohim, he would have been blaspheming. But he was the son of Elohim, so he was not blaspheming. But they thought he, that he was blaspheming because they felt that no mere man could be the son of the father. They, 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 they said no mere man can, can be that. Okay, So they did not accept that, and they said it was blaspheme. But he is letting them know that I am the son of Elohim. Now, let us turn to the 11th chapter of John, and we want to look at two verses there. The first verse we want to look at 
in the 11th chapter of the Gospel of John is verse 4. Now, here's what verse 4 says. It said, and when Yeshua heard that, heard that, he said, the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of Elohim, that the son of Elohim might be glorified thereby. Now, this is the story when Lazarus had died and they called for Yeshua and Yeshua didn't go right away. And then when he died, after he died, he came to resurrect Lazarus. And what he is saying here, that this sickness that Lazarus had was not unto death, but for the glory of Elohim. And why was it for the glory of Elohim? Well, the scripture says, so that the son of Elohim might be glorified thereby. By him raising Lazarus out of the grave, he was glorifying the son of Elohim. Okay. And so it's pointed out again that he was his son. And then in the same chapter, we want to look at the 14th chapter of the Gospel of John. And in this 14th chapter, we want to look at verse number 13, John chapter uh, 14, that is, in verse 13 says, it says, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So he said, whatever you ask in my name, and we're assuming that whatever they ask in his name was according to uh, what was appropriately uh, asked for, because uh, people can ask for any and everything, but this is within the framework of the will of what the Father uh, would, would be answered. Okay, so he says here in verse 13, and whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So he's saying if you ask something in my name, then the Father's going to glorify it because I am his Son. Okay, let's look at one more in the book of John, at least as far as this topic is concerned. And this time we want to go, go to the Gospel of John the 20th chapter, and we'll look at verse number 31. John chapter 20, verse 31 says, It says, But these things are written that ye may believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. Okay. He said, This is why this, this is written, that you believe this is the Messiah, the Son of Elohim and that believing ye might have life through his name. So what he's saying is, is that we've written these things so that you can believe that he is the anointed of Messiah, but that he's also the son of Elohim. And that, that, that's major, that he's the son of Elohim. So if Yeshua's claim is that it is true that he is the son of Yah, not only in the sense of Adam or angels, he created, but as coming from the Father himself. Consequently, if we are to logically pursue this line of reasoning, we will, at this very conception of this idea, point out how that a, an adult man could claim to be Yah's son. So how can Yeshua, as a grown man, claim that he was Yah's son? What we will 
start with is how a fully grown man can both claim to be uh, claimed to be Yah. In other words, he claimed that he was also uh, Elohim and actually be so. How, how can that be? He claims that he is Yah. So how can that actually be? So in order to see how a man can be Yah, we, we will employ a term which is consistent and relevant to this study. And this term is referred to as the origin of an undeveloped seed. I mean, we call this term the spermogenesis. The spermogenesis. Sperma is spelled S. P-E-R-M-A-G-E-N-E-S-I-S. Now, this is made up of two uh, Greek words. Sperma meaning seed, and Genesis means the beginning of. Now, this term, sperma genesis, is somewhat piggybacks on the term the embryogenesis the embryo genesis, which carries the meaning of the coming into being of something as yet undeveloped. See, a seed is undeveloped. Since in biblical literature, the term sperma is used for seed, we don't use the word embryo, but we are using the word sperma, and we'll employ this term, sperma genesis, as we pointed out, is the origin of an undeveloped seed. When we concern ourselves with Yeshua, who is Yah's seed, we want to trace his seed from whom it comes from. In our studies so far, we know that in Yah's creation of plants, animals, and humans are reproduced by their seeds. If this is true, of the plants, animals, and humans, wouldn't this also be true of Yah, who created man in his image and likeness? Now, the seed which Yah possesses within his being would contain his son. The law of the seed is that it reproduces after its kind. The reproducing of Yah's kind would be his seed. Now, let us turn back to the book of Genesis and we want to look at Genesis chapter 1, and in chapter 1, we want to look at verse number 26. Okay, Genesis 1, 26 says, And Elohim said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So here we see that man is to be made in the image and the likeness of Elohim. He said, let us. When Elohim said, let us make Adam in our image and likeness, we can presume that this statement was made by the father to his son. He is saying to his son, let us make man in our image. So if the father and the son were to make Adam in their image and likeness, this would mean that the son was in the image and the likeness of his father. If the man 
they were anticipating on May would also carry the same image and likeness of their maker, all would be in Elohim's appearance. In other words, every human being would be in Elohim's and also the son's appearance. So what we want to point out about the appearance of the father and the son are two basic factors of which they possess. Okay, we want to look at two basic factors and we want to look at these two basic factors and then we'll conclude uh, for today. Now, the first basic factor is in reference to the formation of that which comes from a seed and we'll call this the morphological identity Okay, the morphological identity. Now, the word morph, morphological deals with form. M-O-R-P-H-O-L-O-G-I-C-A-L, morphological. So when we look at the morphological identity of Adam, he was identical in appearance to his makers, Yah, and his son. So when Adam came forth, he looked like his son, the father's son, and the father's son looked like him. So Adam, the son of Elohim, and the father, they all look, look alike. I guess we could say they were uh, triplets. They were triplets. You had the father that looked like the son, and the son that looked like the father, and then Adam that looked like the son, all identical. This identity of Adam to his creator was shared internally as well as externally. He had an external image and likeness as well as an internal uh, as well as an internal image and likeness. Now this inward and outward likeness Adam possessed was to be a being who looked identical to Elohim. That was his whole purpose. He wanted beings look like look like him. And we must assume that if this is so, Adam had within himself a seed to be able to produce the identical offspring as he himself. If Adam could have a son to come forth from his seed, which was planted in Eve, would it be would it be difficult to conceive that Yah the Father bringing forth a son from his seed, El Shaddai, El Shaddai. Okay, so when he his seed came forth from El Shaddai, then El Shaddai produced a son that was like the father. So how do we know that Yah's son was brought forth from his seed? We know this simply as we study the plants, the animals, and the humans' reproductive system. Now, if Adam have the same thing that the father has in his image and likeness, then I would think that if he could produce children after himself, then Elohim would have a seed within himself to be able to produce a son that looked like he himself. This principle of seeds existing in various forms of life has been implanted there by our creator. Yet this principle of the seed of life in nature of various kind has lain dominant, dominant 
in the nature and life producing organs. Yet when this seed of life is united with his egg counterpart, a new species come into being. So when the seed of man connects with the seed of the woman, it brings forth a new, uh, a, a, a new individual. Moreover, there is some credence in the claim we make that Yah's seed brought forth his son. We read in the book of Proverbs. Okay, we want to go to the book of Proverbs. And in the book of Proverbs, we want to look at uh, the scriptures in Proverbs chapter 8. Okay, let us turn to Proverbs chapter 8. And in Proverbs 8, we want to uh, look at uh, verses 20 through 22 to 31. Okay, I think we read it before, but it has some other essence that we want to look at. Okay, so we want to look at this principle of the fact that Yah had a seed and brought forth his son. Now, when we read in, in the book of Proverbs concerning him bringing forth his son, let us take a look at this passage of Scripture in Proverbs, which accents that Yah himself gave birth to his son. All right. Now, when we go into the book of Proverbs, Yah put, it, the Bible says in Proverbs, and we are in chapter 8, and we want to start with verse 22. Now, the Bible says here, Yah, Yah, Yah possessed me in the beginning of his way before the works of old. In other words, before he even started the creation, the Bible is saying that he possessed me. Now, when if he possessed him, it appears strongly that he is talking about uh, that he was a part of Elohim. And then it goes on to say in verse 23, he said, I was set up from everlasting, from the beginning or ever the earth was. And when there was no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills was I brought forth. In other words, he said, for anything even happened before the spirit of Elohim even moved on those waters to start the creation, he says, the Father brought me forth. So if he brought him forth, logically, he must not have been in existence because there's no scripture in the Bible that says that the Father came forth or somebody brought him forth. So if Yeshua was always in existence, why would it say he was brought forth? He could have claimed the same thing that the Father, that I'm already in existence. I don't need to be brought forth. But he says he brought him forth. Okay, and then verse 26 says, While as yet he had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the world, and when he prepared the heavens, I was there, when he set a compass upon the face of the, of the, uh, of the depth, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea his decree, that the waters should come, should not pass his, his command when he appointed the foundations of the earth. Then was I by him 
as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight rejoicing before him. And verse 31 says, rejoicing in the habitations of his earth and by and my delights were with the sons of men. So what we are seeing here is that he is showing to us that he was brought forth. He was not always in existence. He was brought forth. So if something is brought forth, that means it was not always in existence, even though his seed was in Elohim. So in this passage of Scripture, the word brought brought is mentioned three times, three times in the Scripture. Two of them says he brought forth, and one says he was brought up. One is Two says he was brought forth, but one says he was brought up. Now, earlier in our studies, we dealt with the passage in the pre-creation chronology, However, even though this passage is expressing some scenarios which took place prior to the creation, yet it has some bearing in the present creation, okay? So even though a lot of things that are said is pre-creation, but it has some bearing on the present creation. So what is it that we want to point out is that Yah's son came forth from him. The premise we are considering is that if Yeshua was the son of Yah when he came into this world, he must to have been his son in heaven before the creation of this world. If Yeshua was Yah's son, which came forth from him before the creation of this universe, then when he came into this world, he must have also uh, have uh, he must have also have already previously been his son to be able to come into this world, and they call him the son. Now, earlier, we stated that there are two basic factors which the father and the son possess. Now, the first one we dealt with, which was the morphological identity, okay? Now we want to deal with the second factor, is when Yeshua came forth from his father, was he a baby or did he come forth as a grown man? Okay. Okay, now we're talking about him coming forth from being Elohim, his son, and coming to this world. Okay, now when he came into this world, we will refer to this part of our study as the son of Elohim, of which we are called the Theos. The, the 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 theotikon or the theos sparis, uh, so we'll we'll just call it the uh, theos tiscon, theotiscon. That's t h e o s t e k n o n, t h e o s t e k n o n. Now. Theotiscon means the, the, the child of God or the child of Elohim. Theos means God or Elohim in Greek, and technon means a child. 
So when you put the words Theos Technon together, you got Theos Theotikon, which means the child of Elohim. So as we look at this term, what we are dealing with is that Elohim had a child. Okay. Now, when we deal, we must remember that he didn't become the son of man until he came into this world through the womb of Mary, his earthly mother. Okay. So if he didn't become uh, the son of man until he came into this world, this would mean that he was fully uh, Elohim because he was Elohim's son that reproduced after his kind. So anything of the seed of his father would reproduce a son after, after the father because everything reproduces after his kind, okay? This is why when he was on earth and he said he was the son of Elohim, and they were saying he's blaspheming. He would have been blaspheming if he knowing that he is the son of Elohim. And then he said he was not the son of Elohim. Even though they didn't understand it, he couldn't say, because you don't understand this stuff, that I'm not the son of Elohim. He knew that if uh, you had a seed of an apple, the apple seed could only produce another apple. If I had a banana seed, it could only produce another banana. So if he was a seed of Elohim, it could only produce another Elohim. That's what it was. So when he came through Mary, he was still the son of Elohim, but he was reduced to the seed uh, in, in her womb. When he was incarnated in Mary's womb, he became the Emmanuel. Okay. He became the Emmanuel. Now, when he became the Emmanuel, he be, uh, let me see, uh, he became Elohim's son. I'm not sure if I had that particular, Matthews 1, 23. Uh, I'm not sure if you had that, but let's turn to Matthew 1, 23. Now, in Matthew chapter 1, in verse 23, what we have here is the Bible says... It says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, being interpreted is Elohim with us. So when Yeshua came into this world, and he was incarnated into Mary's womb, the Bible says that it was Emmanuel with us. In other words, he was the son of man now. He was the son of man. But becoming the son of man, that did not negate him being the son of Elohim. He still was the son of Elohim, but now that he had taken on flesh, he could also be called not only the son of Elohim, but now the son of man. So the son of man uh, would be the one who was still the son of Elohim. He had now two natures. He had the nature of Elohim and also the nature of man. It was from childhood to adulthood that Yeshua was the son of man. So when he became a grown man and he was saying that he was the son of Elohim, he had started where? He started by being a child, a human child. And from childhood to adulthood, he, he was considered the son of the flesh or the son of man. 
Now, why did he start as a child? Because when he started as a child and he grew up in adolescence and then he moved into adulthood, he covered all of the phases of which a person would live. So that meant that if he was to be at an atonement for the entire human race, you got a lot of babies that may be aborted. You got a lot of babies that died in infancy. You got a lot of premature babies that may have died in the womb. But due to the fact that Yeshua came as a baby, he covered the life of those babies so he could atone for those babies. And as he grew up in adolescence, he could he could atone for all of those in that area who may have died. Or even if they didn't die, he still covered their life. And when he got to be an adult, which the Bible says when he was being around about 30 years of age, that's when he started his ministry. They considered you a man when you were 30 years. This is why he waited until he was 30 to begin his ministry because in the culture of that time, they understood a man was a man when he was 30. And if he had started before that, they would have said, wait a minute. You're not even, matter of fact, even when he, he was talking, when he started his ministry, they, and he said, before Abraham was, I am, they said, man, you're not even 40 years of old. And you, 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 and, and, and you, you, you were saying that you was before Abraham. But what I'm saying is they looked at a, a chronological framework of being able to substantiate your ministry, you had to at least be 30. So when he was 30, then he gave the credentials that he was recognizing what they were, uh, 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 himself as being a man, according to the standard. So he could be believed. So when he started at 30, his ministry, he was merely saying that now, not only to have I atoned for the adolescence and the childhood, but now I can atone for those who are an, an adult. You know, so once having become the son of man, he will always remain being the son of man. Okay? So what we are looking at basically is, is this. When he became the son of man, he could proclaim that he was still the son of Elohim. But now that he has both natures, he identifies with Elohim as well as w with mankind because he was going to be our high priest. Now, who is a high priest? The, the high priest or just being a priest, it meant that the priest represented the people. So how better can you represent the people by becoming one of the people? When it says that Elohim so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. What does that mean? That means that he gave his son to the human race and throughout eternity, he'll have his human form as well as his divine form. Whenever we see Yeshua in the future to come, once we are redeemed, he will always be in the physical form because when he became physical, he was, that would never be taken away from him. That showed how much he loved for loved us that he became human along with us. That's how much he loved us. He could have stayed in his, in his glorified form that the Father had made him, but he said, Father, I love them so much along with your love that I'm willing to take on flesh. So that's what he did. Now we're getting ready to close, but we want to use a few more texts in closing. Okay? There are a number of passages in the Scriptures 
that the devil and the demons of souls testify concerning who Yeshua was when he was in heaven. And we want to look at some of these uh, testimonies of the demons and the devils. Now, what we have been trying to point out is that Yeshua is the son of Elohim. That's who he is. He's the son of Elohim. And, it, and we must understand that in order to be saved, that he is the son of Elohim. Not just the son of man, but the son of Elohim. Okay, and we want to uh, look at some of the statements by demons and also the devil. Now, why are we looking at that? Sometimes you can get more evidence on something, sometimes on your opponent, than you can from somebody who believes. In other words, when you get the testimony of people or individuals uh, who do not believe as you believe, and they validate something, sometimes that, that can give you more authority on, on the truth than sometimes people who believe like you believe. And we want to look at some of those authorities at this time. So the first authority we want to look at is found in the book of Matthew. We're going to look at the book of Matthew, and we're going to look at chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to look at two verses. This is the one at time that Yeshua was under the temptations uh, of the devil when he was led into the wilderness. Okay, now we want to look at verses 3 and 6. Now notice what verse 3 says. The Bible says when the devil was tempting him in the wilderness in chapter 4 and verse 3, it said, and when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the son of Elohim, command that these stones be made bread. In other words, the devil himself is saying, if you be the son of Elohim. Now, he's not saying if in the sense that you aren't, but he is using if in the sense that you claim to be the son of Elohim. So now, if, you, if your claim is true, then turn these stones into bread even though Yeshua didn't do that. But he is recognizing him as the son of Elohim. Now, why is this? Because he knew Elohim in heaven before he was cast out. That's, that's why he knows. He, 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 he knows. He, he knew him. Okay, that's why he knew him, because he was in heaven. And when he was kicked out of heaven, he knew that Yeshua came down here. So he, he knew who he was. Okay, let us go to the same chapter, and this time we'll look at verse 6. He had another temptation, and he said unto him in verse 6, If thou be the son of Elohim, cast thyself down, as it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands shall they bear thee up, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. So in other words, he said again, if you you the son, then jump on down from this temple and he'll make sure that he sent his angels down here. And his angels going to make sure that you don't dash your foot against a stone. They gonna, they'll they catch you. And Elohim said again, it is written, I don't, I, I don't do what you say, Satan. That's presumptuous to jump, up, jump off this temple and expect Elohim to save me. He said, I'm not going to do that. You know, he said, that's facetious. That a lot of people that do things that they know is wrong, they know that the weight of their body jumping from a high story like that, that's a death sentence. So if you know that and you, you're in a good mind, why would you jump? Why would you jump off this temple? No, he said, I'm not going to do that. Even though I'm his son, I'm not going to even do that. 
Okay. But but the point that we're looking at, if thou be the son of Elohim, if thou be the son of Elohim. So he's saying, hey, uh, yeah, I'm his son, but that doesn't mean I'm going to do what you say do. Okay. Now let's look at Matthew chapter 8. I mean, uh, Luke, that is. Luke chapter 4, that is. We're going to turn to the book of Luke. And in the book of Luke, we'll look at chapter 4. And in chapter 4, we want to look at two verses there. It's the same, it's the same scenario, but we're just pointing out how each gospel writer, how, how they dealt with this, okay? Now, in Luke chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 3 and 9. Verse 3 says, And the devil said unto him, if thou be the son of Elohim, command that these stones be made bread. Okay. He reiterates the same thing that Matthew says. So it must have been important. Whenever you repeat something, it's important. And then in the same uh, fourth chapter of Luke, in verse 9, in verse 9 says, And he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If thou be the son of Elohim, cast thyself down from hence. And again, he refuted him, but we pointed out, he pointed out that you are the son of Elohim, and he did that twice. Okay, now let us turn back to Matthews in chapter chapter 8. Back to Matthew in chapter 8. Now here in chapter 8, we want to look at Matthew chapter 8 and verse 29. Now notice what verse 29 says. Matthew 8, 29 says, And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with Yeshua? Now, remember, this is when the demoniacs, uh, they had possessed this man, and Yeshua was casting out the demoniacs, and when he was casting them out, uh, they cried out to Yeshua, these demons. They said, and behold, they cried out. So they, the means is more than one, saying, what have we to do with thee, Yeshua? Now, how did they know he was Yeshua? Well, here's how they knew. They said, thou son of Elohim. Now, even the demons are saying he's the son of Elohim. They say, you, you the son of Elohim, art thou come hither to torment us before our time. That They knew that they, when they were cast out of heaven, that they were going to be destroyed. And when they saw Yeshua casting out demons out of this man, they said, you, are you coming to torment us before our time? We know our time is coming, but are you rushing our time? By casting out the demons? No, he wasn't. He wasn't at that time getting ready to destroy them. He was just casting them out of the the man who had been possessed of them. And then they said, "Let us go into the herd of swine." And they ran off the cliff and drowned the 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 the, uh, the, the swine. And when the swine farmers came back and saw what was happening, they told Yeshua, "You messing with our livelihood, man. You need to get out of here." So Yeshua left that place. But the point is is that even the demons, even the demons recognize that he was the son of Elohim. Now let us turn to uh, the book of Mark, the book of Mark. And in the book of Mark, we want to use chapter 5. And in Mark chapter 5, we want to look at verse number 7. And the Bible says in Mark chapter 5, verse 7, and cried out with a loud voice and said, What have we to do with thee, Yeshua, Thou son of the Most High. Now, who is the Most High? The Most High is El Elyon, which is the Father. He is the Most High. And they said in here in Mark, Mark says that 
they said, what have we to do with thee, the son of the most high? So even the demons recognized, even before he came to this world, that he was the son of Elohim. So now what we have studied thus far is that the Bible teaches that he is the son of Elohim. Now, next week, we're going to be dealing with something that deals with Christianity, Islam, and Orthodox Judaism. Because we're going to see, do they believe that he was the son of Elohim? After all of the evidence that we have in our Bible, was he actually uh, the son of Elohim? But the crucial question is, do, does the uh, do Orthodox Judaism and Christianity and Islam, do they believe these three major religions, do they believe that he was the son of Elohim? And that's what we want to deal with. Eternal Father, as we have looked and we have seen evidence, even from the demons themselves, that he was the son of Elohim. He was your son. So help us as we ponder this and as we continue to ponder it, that we can truly believe that he was your son. These are all the blessings we ask in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Wow. So, um, was, was Yahushua's form when he came here different from what it was in heaven? Or, or uh, did he look similar to what he was in heaven? I think it was a little different when he came. Well, see, when he came to heaven, that's, I mean, when he came to this world, he put on the fleshly, the fleshly state. Mm -hmm. Okay. And there might be some slight difference when he became a man because Elohim himself, uh, he is not a man, you know, like Adam was, mm -hmm. but see, Yeshua was just like his father before he became the, the second Adam. So I think it was a slightly different in the materials in which, uh, in which he was in. Mm -hmm. But as far as looking like Elohim, he was because uh, if you turn with me in the book of Daniel, uh, I believe that's Daniel chapter 7. And in Daniel chapter 7, what we notice here, let me see. Uh, and let me see. In January chapter 7, and we look at verse number 9, I believe it is. He said, And I beheld till the thrones was cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and his hair like, and his head like pure wool. His throne was like fiery flame and his wheels as burning fire. Okay, now that's describing that's describing the father uh -huh. that he was on the throne. They called him the Ancient of Days and his hair was just as white as uh, his garment was white as snow and his hair like pure wool. Okay. Okay. And then when you look at, uh, uh, let me see, in the same verse, in verse uh, 13, Daniel seven thirteen says, And I saw in the night vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man, he came forth with the clouds of heaven, and he came, and he brought the, 
he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Okay, and if you read the same description of this, when you go to the book of Revelation, the first chapter in the book of Revelation, and we look at uh, Revelation chapter 1, and it, and, and it speaks in Revelation chapter 1, and let me see, here in verse number 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 13 it said and in the midst of the seven uh uh menorahs one like the son of man clothed with the garment down to the foot and girded about the peps with the golden girdle he said his head and his hair was white like wool as white as snow and his eyes as a flame of fire in other words what i'm saying is when you look at revelation it has the same description of what it describes the father to be so we know that the father and the son, they look alike. Now, when he was actually uh, resurrected, he may have a, had had a different form than when he actually came forth from Mary's womb, as if when he was glorified again and went back to heaven. That might he may have got more back into the form of of his glory than he was when he was here on earth. Right. So did. Now, physically, did Satan and the fallen angels automatically knew know that it was Yahusha, or was it because of some of the things he did that were tell signs of him? No, they 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 knew. <laughs> no, not 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 because of what he did. They uh -huh. they knew him. Matter of fact, they they dogged uh, Joseph and Mary. They were trying to kill him. Wow. Under the, under the under the administration of Herod when uh -huh. he was being born, that's when Elohim told Joseph. He said, "Take your he said take your spouse and, and, and your child." He said, "Go on down to Egypt." They had to go down in Egypt. They dogged him all all, all the way. They they knew who he was. That's why they tried to kill him. Uh -huh. And 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 so they couldn't kill him under Herod when he was a baby. Uh -huh. But when they came back to Jerusalem and he, and he lived in that area, then again, it was under Pontius Pilate that they killed him. Mm -hmm. So they, they knew him all, all the way. That was the main person on the planet that they were trying to trace down. So that, so they knew him even before he did the miracles because they, they followed him daily. Mm. Now, I want to go back to uh, Proverbs 8.30. And mm -hmm. it says, uh, then I was by him as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. It sounds like uh, a father is raising his son right here. Yeah, that's and, what it sounds like to it me, too. It sounds like um, Yahushua was the father's delight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. See, see, see. The question is: Is next week we're going to be getting into maybe quite a bit of controversy because uh, people are dealing with a Trinity, and we're going to point out where if it was a Trinity, then he he was not really Elohim's son there. Oh wow! And we'd be dealing with that. Yeah, it, it, you know, a lot of people don't understand how important the subject is that he was the son of Elohim. They don't mm -hmm. understand that. And so we want to show the significance of why uh, Elohim had a son. It, it it makes a difference. Wow. Um, 
what was the statement you made about uh, Lazarus? Uh, something you were saying about him coming from the grave? Yeah, uh, he said one of the reasons why uh, Lazarus died so he can glorify the son, the son of Elohim. So, so he can resurrect him and show forth his glory. Huh? Uh, the son of Elohim, so he can. Uh... Mm-hmm. Yeah. So God. Well, we can go back to the statement. Uh, let me see. Let me see. Let me see. What was that? Was that the eleventh chapter? Uh, I'm not sure. Okay, hold on. Let me see. Oh yeah, is uh, the John eleventh chapter verse four? He said, and when Yeshua heard. That he said, this sickness, in other words, when he heard that leather was dead, uh-huh. he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of Elohim. In other words, one bring glory to the Father in heaven. And he said that the Son might be glorified thereby. So in uh-huh. other words, once he glorified the Father in heaven, uh-huh. then the Son was going to be glorified too. Mm. Okay. Wow. I tell uh-huh. you, we, you definitely want to tune in next week. Uh, to hear how the pastor is going to tie Judaism, Christianity, uh, um, Islam, and also uh, the Trinity and everything into the seed. It's going to be interesting. This whole series uh, has been very interesting. I mean, I have never heard anything like it at all. You know, it's it's very interesting and, uh, and very engaging. All right, with that, we'll transition to our next segment. Up next is Let's Talk About That. So this weekend, let's talk about it. I want to talk about trials. Just from my personal experience, I don't have trials and still having them dealing with financial issues, family issues, work issues, employment issues, all type of issues. And my question is, are things going to get better or are we just, you know, as we headed for the end of times, things are just going to just going to have trial after trial until the most high comes. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you can turn with me into the James chapter one, verse 12, again, as James chapter one, verse 12. And it reads, Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which Yahuwah has promised to them that love him. Now, our ultimate goal is to really reach the kingdom and to receive that crown. So, Pastor, I want to ask you, is what we are going through now small compared to what is, is coming or is in the works as we see now? Uh, that's a pretty good question, uh, but uh, we want to look at it from the standpoint of what the scriptures gives us. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, we we we're gonna have some turbulent uh, situations that are which are coming up in the future. Yes, that is so. Uh, some people are. Even today, while we speak, you know, in certain countries, they are having devastations and problems. Mm-hmm. You go over into India, they have the monsoon winds, and they don't people don't have the proper 
place to stay and the food to eat. This is why missionaries trying to get food and stuff over to them. And while we're living in our comfortable houses, a lot of people are refugees from their own country. They they are going through far more than what we 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 are going through, mm-hmm. and say nothing about the war that they have over there in the Ukraine with Russia. It just it's just so much going on. And so when you look at uh, Matthew chapter twenty four, Yeshua he spoke spoke about a lot of this stuff. You know, it's right there in the scriptures, and, and we we're just pinpoint some of the temptations and some of the things that are are, are yet to come up on this earth. Matthew 24, uh, 6 says, And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. He said, See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Mm-hmm. So he said, It's going to be a lot of more wars and rumors of wars. In other words, they're going to be fighting. And then he said, That's also going to be rumors of wars. Now, a rumor is not, uh, they may not be fighting. Mm-hmm. But when you talk about rumors of war, you're talking about that even if they are not fighting, they are talking about getting ready to go to war. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's quite a bit of things that are, that, that are going on in this world, and it's going to get more intensified as uh, the days go by. In other words, we need not say that, like I hear a lot of people say, you know, I'm, I, I, wish, I wish we can bring back the old days. Mm-hmm. Well, uh I don't know. They had their challenges, but uh, if you thought that the old days was good, well, we're going to still have some of those days, but don't get too comfortable because a lot of things are going to be disrupted. Mm -hmm. You know, nations are going to be disrupted. Communities will be disrupted. Uh, and, and, And Elohim also goes on to say in the same passage, he said, for nations shall rise against nation, verse 7 of the 24th chapter of uh, Matthew, mm-hmm. and kingdoms against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes and that in diverse places. In other words, he said, there are going to be earthquakes in different places. Have you ever heard of so many earthquakes that we've had on this planet? I mean, we have had, uh, I mean, when you looked at the, what they call the Richter scale, I mean, we've had uh, earthquakes that measure in number more so than in the history of this planet yeah. that we are having. This planet is fallen. I mean, it, it, it is uh, being uh, torn apart. Man is robbing the earth of all of its natural resources, its trees to make furniture and gold and the silver and all of the stones in the earth. And they are manning all of this stuff. This mm-hmm. And the rain comes down. And you got all this asphalt in the cities, and we having these tornadoes, and all of the power shortages, and that we are having. All of this is because of man's greed, want all of the elements and stuff from the earth, and not taking in consideration when you take all of this stuff from the earth, it's it's going to affect the earth in some way. And so, yes, we will be having more temptations far greater than that which we we are having. And so it behooves us that the spirit of Elohim can lead us and that we must constantly uh, be in pouring out our hearts to him in prayer mm-hmm. that he leads us and guide us. And how can he lead us and guide us as we pray unless we are in his scriptures? And as we get into his scriptures and to do the things that he would have us to do, then even in those difficult times, he can lead us. 
But make no mistake about it is that some of us, even doing the best we can, mm-hmm. uh, the government and some of these things going to take some of us out. In every catastrophe, somebody's might be taken out, but if they're in Yeshua, they can look forward to living again. And those of us who may escape the temptations that is coming upon us, then we can continue to serve him and try to do the best we can of helping others who cannot see what we see, that they may be able to see it as well and get the redemption in the end that we are looking forward to. But yes, the temptations, they, they're going to increase far more than that, that which they are today. So we may as well uh, put on our seatbelts and brace ourselves because we, we are going for the ride. Because, you know, it's interesting. If you really look at everything that's happened in the world and pay attention to some, some of the things in the news, you can see things that are, are starting to happen at a much more rapid rate. Uh, mm-hmm. Case in point, just this past week I was reading on Twitter and uh, someone had made a post about Starbucks, how uh, they had a sign up that they are no longer going to accept cash anymore. It's all going to be digital uh, cards and everything now. And one of the stadiums here two years ago, they implemented the same thing. And then I hear of um, that some countries are working on, I guess the American dollar is one of the biggest things out here. And they are talking, some countries are talking about backing instead of their money by the American dollar, backing their money back by gold, which would basically ruin the United States. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that another guy made a post in response to the Starbucks thing was saying these things have been in works 20 years ago. He said he worked in, he had worked in IT for a bank and they was working on all this digital stuff 20 years ago. So right now, to me, everything is in place. They just got it. It's just a matter of time for they say and usher it in. So, you know, as we, we are to me in the last days. And like you said, we are going to see more and more trials come up because pretty soon we, they, when you go switch to a digital currency, someone has control of your money now. And so they can easily push a button and, and block you from having any goods. And we know towards the end of time that in order to have one world government, you're going to have to regulate the monetary system. Mm -hmm. And you can see all these things are starting to fall in place. So my other question is, as we see these things, what can we do? to stay in the good graces of the most high with, when, as these trials and tribulations in the last days. I know you mentioned staying in the scripture. What else is there that we should do besides, you know, in the scripture and in prayer? Well, I, I, there's a plethora, uh, you know, of things that, that, that we should be doing uh, in the economical system. Sometimes we may have to invest in commodities mm-hmm. uh, that have held their value over the years. See, when Abraham and travel and Solomon, who built the temple and all that, they invested in gold, which is uh, assets that sometimes they don't lose their value no matter how society is. And so you might have, may, you may have to watch, watch your investments. Another thing is, is that uh, we, may, we may, need, may need as a, as a people of the covenant 
uh, start start country living. You know mm-hmm. what country living is is to be able to go out from the outskirts of the city and to live on a plot of land in which you can grow stuff, or you might live in the mountains because Yeshua said when he was on the earth here that when you see the abomination of the desolation spoken of by Daniel standing in the holy place, he said, flee the city and don't, don't come back in it. Mm. So we have to, we have to watch in prophecy of when uh, the soldiers and those who start populating over in the Holy Land, when they start standing there, because that's going to have a great impact, not only on the Holy Land, but also the world. Because when the Pope starts doing what he needs to do, then that's going to have, that's going to play a part. But if we are out from the cities, uh, then I think we have more of a chance of survival because of the fact that it's going to be enough work, you know, to control the cities than to try to deal with the mountains and people who are living on the plain. And so some people have already uh, started doing, I think Bill Gates may be already doing it, but some people have started, you know, uh, saving their seeds. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you get a, uh, a, a, a grapefruit or orange or grapes, you, you save all of those seeds. So yeah. seeds are money. Mm-hmm. And when you save those seeds, then when you go out into the uh, wilderness, then you plant those seeds because that's where your life is coming from. And just like you said, when they cut off your income and stuff, they still won't be able to cut off your living because you, you got seeds to reproduce after this kind and to give you the type of food that you need. And, and moreover, you don't have to get this genetic modified food that they are uh, putting out on the market as well. So economically, you want to know how to vest. You want to know how to deal with country living. Mm-hmm. And then another thing that you, you, you want to uh, consider is, is that as we move toward the end of time, uh, how, what, what are the prophecies in the book of Revelation that we need to concern ourselves with? Mm-hmm. Because okay. a lot of the sermons that we are hearing today is feel-good sermons and yeah. stuff like that. But what, what is Revelation speaking toward? You know, this book looks like it's almost being hidden, and yet the apocalypse uh, is telling you, I'm revealing something to you. Mm-hmm. So it behooves us to get into that book. We need to pray for understanding and that the Holy Spirit may help us to understand what John understood when he was writing this book so we'll know exactly what page of history that we are on because yeah. we need to be in present truth, and present truth is found in the book of Revelation. But I'm not hearing anything on Revelation. Yeah. So it's it's a number of ways we may have to on um, our program we may have to discuss some of these ways of what we should be doing during the time of the end. Okay. Uh, we got a question from a listener, mm-hmm. and it reads: Luke one thirty two says, mm-hmm. "He shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest." And Yahuwah Elohim shall give unto him the throne of his father David. I don't understand how David became the father of Yahusha. Please explain. Okay, so you want to understand how David became the father of of Yahusha. Okay, all right, let me look at this text. You say, he that he shall be great and shall call the son of the highest and Yahuwah Elohim shall give him the throne of his father David. 
Now, read, read the last part of that question. I'm trying to get the gist of it. Okay. Read that question again that she had on how he became, how the David became this, uh, the father of Yeshua. It read says, that part again. Uh, I don't understand how David became the father of Yahusha. Oh, okay. Okay, let, let's let's look at that particular uh let's look at that particular uh portion of your question how he became the father of Yahusha. Okay, the first first thing I'm 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 gonna do, we're gonna turn to the book of uh Matthew. Let's turn to the book of I believe it's Matthew. Let me see. Matthew the first chapter. Matthew chapter one. Okay. Okay. All right. Now in Matthew chapter one, we want to look at um, verse number one, Matthew one one. Now in Matthew one one, it says, "The book of generations of Yeshua, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham." Okay, he said he's the son of David. All right. Now I want you to. I guess with some of the studies we have, you probably can understand this a lot more clear. Okay. Uh, he said he's the son of David. And when you look at the genealogy, it starts with Abraham and it moves on down to Joseph, who was supposed to be the son of Elohim. Okay. Okay. Now, what it what it is saying is uh, that David was made the second king of Israel outside of Saul. And Saul's kingship was rejected, but David was accepted. So that meant from David all the way down to uh, the Messiah, would uh, they would have kings from that particular lion, from from that particular lion, lion of kings. Okay. Now, if you notice in the genealogy here that usually the person. Uh, that follows the king that died, mm -hmm. they were the son of the king that died, and they took over. And as they took over, they would be called the the son. So when we look at uh, so 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 when we look at Luke one thirty two, and it speaks about him being the son of uh, of David. What we are talking about is that he was coming through the line or the descendants of David. Okay. All right. Now, what we want to do, <clears throat> what we want to do further in uh, analyzing this text. Okay. Let me see. All right. Let me see. I want to turn to in the book of Acts. All right. In the book of Acts. We want to turn to Acts chapter 2. Okay, and I think this will shed uh, some more light on how he, can David be the son. I mean, uh, he'd be, the, be over David. How can David be over Yeshua? All right. All right, let me see. Hold up. Let me get this in perspective. Okay. All right, we want to go to Acts chapter 2. And we want to start with verse 29, Acts chapter 2, verse 29. All right, in verse 29, it says, and this is, uh, I believe, Peter that is talking. He said, men and brethren, let us 
he said, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David. So he's talking about David particularly. He said that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. And verse 30 says, therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that Elohim has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Messiah to sit on his throne. In other words, he's saying that David had a throne, and the throne of David was considered to be accepted with Elohim, the house of David. So when you deal with the house of David rather than the house of Saul, all of the kings that came down from David, they was of the house of David. See, now if Saul had done the right thing, it would probably be talking about the house of Saul. But Saul's house was rejected because he rejected Elohim. And even though David made mistakes, he always came back and repented. Matter of fact, a great deal of the Psalms is because David wrote them. He had a love for Elohim, even though he made mistakes. So Elohim accepted his kingship. And he says, from your kingship, you're going to have Solomon, you're going to have Rehoboam, and all of the kings that came from him, they're they going to be under David, okay? So even when Yeshua came to this world, who were they looking for? They were looking for the son of David. That's who they was looking for because David's kingship was the established kingship that Elohim had given to Israel. Because as you remember that when they came to Samuel, they said, we want a king. And he said, okay, I give you a king. And so when he gave him a king, he gave him Saul. But since Saul's messed up, he gave him David. So in a way, David was the first king, but he was not the first king in the sense of being uh, chosen to be over Israel, but the first king in which he was accepted in doing Elohim's will. All right, let's read further in uh, Acts 2. And, 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 and this time we want to read verse 31. Okay, now we've seen that he would raise up the Messiah to sit on David's throne. Now he said, and seeing this before spake of the resurrection of the Messiah. So he said David was a prophet, and he spoke also of the resurrection of the Messiah, that his soul would not be left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. In other words, when he was put in the grave for those three days, his body didn't see corruption. Why was that? Because he was resurrected. That's why. Okay. And, and, and when he was resurrected, the Bible says in verse 32, this Yeshua hath Elohim raised up whereof we are called witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of Elohim exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this abroad, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but saith himself. He said, David is saying himself, Yahuwah said unto my Yahuwah, or as King James said, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that Elohim hath made that same Yeshua whom ye have crucified, both Lord, okay, and the Messiah, okay? So what we are looking at here is that 
even when Yeshua was on earth, even before he resurrected and went to heaven, uh, they were asking Yeshua a lot of questions, and he answered the question. And then Yeshua turned around and asked them a question. He says, how is it that David called him, uh, called Yeshua Lord? So if David called him Lord, then the question he put forth to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, if David called Yeshua Lord before he came to this, this earth, he said, then how can he be the son of David if David called him Lord? Mm -hmm. Okay, so the question is, is that when he establishes kingship uh, of David on the throne, then what what is being said here is basically is that David looked David looked to Yeshua himself in the Old Testament to be his Lord before he came, because David knew this. So the kingship of David depended upon the kingship of of, of, of the Messiah. Because mm -hmm. even in Psalms 23, what did David say? He said, the Lord is my shepherd. Mm -hmm. So if David is calling Yeshua the Lord his shepherd, mm -hmm. then David is recognizing that uh, I'm not over him. He's over me. Okay. So, so when we look at, so when we look at that, uh, and he's talking about establishing the throne of David, that's mm -hmm. only because he has established David's throne as the one that will have preeminence over the house of Saul. But when Yeshua comes, he will take over the throne of David. That's why they call him the son of David, because of his lineage that came through David, and moreover, because of the fact that David looked to Messiah to be able to lead him. Now let us turn, uh, let us turn also in Psalms 110. Okay, in Psalms 110, we're going to look at verse 1. And the Bible says in Psalms 110, and verse 1, it says, Yehoah said unto my Adonai, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. Okay? Now, if he is saying that David is... Uh, calling him Lord, which the scripture was, was saying that they, they are under the throne of David. But the one that's going to take over the throne of David is not David. Uh -huh. It's Yeshua, who will be the king of kings and lord of lords. But he's coming through the land of David. Okay? okay. So that, that, that's, basically, that's basically what that's dealing with. Now, if we didn't answer it, to your satisfaction, write the question in again, and we can go a little deeper in the question. Okay, we have another question from a listener, and it reads, when it comes to choice, should we vote to make abortion illegal, or should we not vote and leave the choice up to the person to decide whether or not to have an abortion? Well, uh let me, let me put it this way. Voting is uh, voting is your choice, you know, whether it's for abortion or what. It's up to you whether you vote, you know. Yeah, I remember the pen of restoration. She says that there are some things that we as Christians, you know, uh, can vote on, you know. And one of the issues was uh, when it comes to maybe something 
that deals with our health or something that will influence the governmental powers to uh, deal with, that our voice could be heard. But still, it's, it's up to you or the individual if they want to vote. Mm-hmm. You know. Okay, now, as for the issue of abortion, uh, you may be pro-choice or you may be against it. Some people, and most of all, I wouldn't say most of all, but a lot of people who are campaigning that the abortion law that was, oh, I think, 1931 or 41, one that they had that you cannot get abortions, uh, they are trying to overturn that now. In my estimation, if the law is there on the books and you choose to vote, then it should be that a person should not have an abortion because that's what's on the books. Mm-hmm. And if you're saying that they can have it up until, you know, they clarify what is going on, well, number one, they are going against the law because the law is there on the books. And I don't think we need to deal with laws and come back and say, well, it's all right for you to do the abortion until we clear things up. Well, the law is there. It's already cleared up. But if you are making it more foggy by saying, well, you can do such and such until this law is cleared up, then if you got a choice to vote, then what are you what are you voting for? Okay. Now, what is abortion? The abortion is to take the fetus out of a woman's body before it's given birth. Okay. Now, if that is if that is true, that uh, this baby is to be aborted, then one would have to stop to think, number one, if you're going to abort a baby, on what grounds are you aborting the baby? What grounds are you aborting the baby? Okay, because every baby that is to be aborted is not on the same grounds. Mm-hmm. Some people say, well, the mother's life may be at stake, so that's why we aborting the baby. Another person might say, well, I was raped, and since I was a rape, I want to abort the baby. Okay, so you got rape and the mother's life being a state, and then another reason why they may want to abort the baby is because of the fact they're saying, I want to have control over my body, so I want to uh, 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 abort the baby. So... <laughs> What I'm trying to get at, what is the reason why you want to abort that baby? Okay. Now, when we look at uh, a person that takes out a gun and a shooter person, we say that person should not only be incarcerated, but that they should serve the full penalty of the law. Okay. So aren't we talking about death? So in one case, if they shoot a person who is living, that's wrong. And then we turn it around and say that a baby that is living in a fetus or, or the fetus that is living in a woman, that if you take that baby, then it's all right. Isn't killing killing? Killing didn't stop just because we have been born. You can kill in the womb. So when you look at the reasons that people give for abortion, some of it does not coincide 
with what you are asking for, because if you say you want to abort the baby because of the mother life being affected, that's already built into the law. The doctors, when they operate on the woman, if the fetus is bothering or about to put the mother's life in jeopardy, they automatically, as doctors, know that if that's in jeopardy, they have to do what is needed in that case. You don't need a law for that. The doctors already know what to do. And every abortion is not because the woman's life is, the, the mother's life is in, a, in, in jeopardy or anything. Because the doctor says that if the baby in the womb is affecting the mother's health, then they have to make the decision as doctors to know what to do. That has nothing to do with the law. The doctors already know what to do. So if you're going to vote, what are you born? Are you pro-life? Are you against life? Because I'm saying if you said, well, I want the baby to be aborted simply because I was raped, what, what, what has rape has to do with killing the baby? The baby didn't have anything to do with that. Wouldn't it be seem, seem more feasible to go after the man who has raped the woman and give him the penalty of the law rather than to kill that baby? How many people have said that when they uh, parents wanted to abort them, something happened that they were not aborted? And look how many people of the world who may have given great contributions that if you abort that baby, you don't know what the child might have grown up to be even though you were raped. The child had nothing to do with that. And yet we put more on killing that baby than going and killing the man who gave her the baby. If we're going to kill somebody, what about going and killing the man who raped the woman? But we don't say anything about that. Only thing we say is get that baby. The baby has not done anything. Well, well, and if you say, you're right. Well, what in the instance of incest? Um, because a lot of times those kids who are born in incest aren't fully right. You know, especially when it comes because there's been cases where a brother has raped a sister. And, and, and uh, they were to, you know, was she was impregnated. And, you know, when the bloodline is real close, those kids are basically deformed, pretty much. Yeah, bro, if we hold to that logic, uh, you're, you're, you're right. But uh, I, I, even in that case, I don't, I don't see a, a abortion taking place. Why? Because of the fact that if incest has, has taken place, modern medicine has something to kind of deal with that. And I think one of the problems is when you marry too close into line that uh, your hemoglobin and your blood does not clog and it could produce a problem that when you're cut, you can bleed to death. Okay. Mm -hmm. But I think they still got something for that. But here's what I'm saying. Uh, in the royal family, I think that to a large extent that exists. Mm -hmm. So if that's to be the case, then the royal families, uh, they should, uh, above all people on earth, they should be practicing abortion, but they aren't. Now, we may have less cases than they do in a royal family if you, you know, count the time of when they started the royal family on up to today, that if they had started aborting 
uh, people in in a family line that they should be aborted, I think you would probably wipe out a lot of the royal family. So what I'm saying is many people who get an abortion because of incest today, mm-hmm. they don't really have that long line of uh, ancestry that they have been so close that if they abort, uh, they can avoid the disease. But what I'm simply saying is uh, I don't think there's any grounds of aborting any any baby, in my estimation, to go down and vote that they have the abortion law repealed so that you can have an abortion mm-hmm. rather than to go to another state that actually you can get an abortion. My thing would be let that baby let that baby come and let us see what we can do for it. Just like when Lot, his two daughters laid with him. Now, it's not so much that his children uh, had that particular disease, but it was the fact that when Lot's two daughters laid with him and they had the children, they, de- they developed nations that eventually went against Israel, Elohim's true people, okay, which, which was wrong. But I never saw where Elohim endorsed uh, children being aborted because when you, lo- you read in Psalms 139 mm-hmm. of how there is life in that fetus that he has put within that uh, in, in that woman, then I think you may want to think twice about aborting the child. And, you know, it's interesting, too, um, how you was mentioned about murder. Uh, I guess just recently, earlier this year, a guy who impregnated his girlfriend killed her while she was pregnant, and he was charged with double homicide, mm. you know, for not only just a mother, but also the unborn child, you know. Yeah. So it is murder. But, um, all, but I understand it that basically the Supreme Court just kick the decision to each individual state to make their own laws, how they deal with it. They yeah, didn't that's what necessarily. They, they did. Yeah, um, that's what they did. And I, th- I think they were wise in doing that mm-hmm. because when you make uh, one size fit all, you know, it, 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 it it's not going to work. If you say one size fit all, yeah. one size doesn't fit everybody. If the Supreme Court had come down and said, well, we're going to per- permit you to have abortions. And years ago, when they abortion law uh, came out that you could have abortions, they say they turned the abortion clinic into a meat market. They said they had more abortions coming in there in a little bit. Now, you ain't going to tell me that all of those abortions was incest and all of the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Somebody had gone out and had a legitimate, illegitimate affair and didn't want to be embarrassed, so they had that child killed. Yeah. And we put more on abortion than on the person that is, that is, that is causing this. So we made that need to have stiffer penalties that if you and a family, you do this, it's going to be a stiff penalty for you. But, you know, even still, when it when it comes to voting, I just wonder, in reality, does the vote really count or is it just an illusion that, yeah, I voted, but really does does your voting actually count? Oh, yeah, it counts just like Jesse Jackson says. He said, when you go to the ballot box, he mm-hmm. says, you know, he said, he said the only thing that's going to matter at the ballot box, which he's correct, he says, is that you count the votes. If you got the most votes, you won. But here's the problem that they are not, you know, articulating. 
yes, you can vote. And if you got more Democratic votes than you got Republican votes, even though they may be fooling with the ballot box. But but the point I'm saying is Jesse is correct. The person that has the most votes is going to get their party in. But mm-hmm. here's the problem. It doesn't mean because you got that party in that that party has your best interests at hand. True. So if they don't have your best interests at hand, even though you voted, you've done your civil duty, you have, you have done what they asked you to do, but you get somebody in there that when they get in there, they don't have your interests at hand, and they go and deal with issues that are against the Bible, they deal with issues that are against the Torah, and then you said you're going to put them in. Yeah, you got them in, but 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 what you believe and what they are doing is, is contradictory. Mm. So... Yes, you got the number, but you're not getting the substance. And when they get in, they're going to do what they want to do. And when they do what they want to do, then what are you going to do then? You're saying, well, hey, I'm not going to put that person back in office again, because even though they got the vote, they didn't do anything that they said they was going to do. They just listened to what you had to say and said yes, but you saw no evidence of what they, they have done. This is why now when people are voting, they want to see what your track record is before you get in there, because if you ain't got no track record when you get in there, then I'm not going to even put you in there. Yeah. And I know this is just my take on it. I can't vote for man anymore. Man is evil. And my vote now is for the most high Yahuwah. You know, uh, even on the last election, to prove a point, I wrote in Yahusha, Yahuwah for president, Yahusha for vice president. Because for me, myself, I want Yah representing me because I know he's uncorrupt. He's uncorruptible. And man, I don't need man. I, I don't understand why Israel wanted a physical king so much when we had the ultimate king ruling over us. But maybe it was one of these things where they wanted someone human who was corrupt just like we are, you know, so that we can better identify than dealing with an entity that was more righteous than we will ever be. Yeah, well, you know, the, gov- the government does pay its part. And you, 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 Pastor Paul, he says a lot about the government, I think, in the book of Romans. But the government play, play their part. They do have a part. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I can't say uh, that... I don't depend upon the government for anything, you know, uh, we are part of the system, uh-huh. but what we can say is like what Yeshua said, uh, give me a coin, you know, and when they looked at the coin, he says, whose image is on the coin? Uh-huh. And they said, Caesar, he said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, but to Elohim, the things that are Elohim. Uh-huh. So we have to understand that in the world we live in, everything is governed by politics. Matter of fact, the word politics comes from the word city. In other words, uh, it's the things that govern the places that we live and the cities and the states that we're in. But we follow them as long as they follow Elohim. But if they're not following Elohim, we have to take a stand for Elohim. I can't dismiss them altogether. I am in this world. Uh And even Yeshua, you know, when he went to uh, be incarcerated, that he was under the judicial laws of the Roman government. He recognized that. But well, what he was saying is that while I recognize the government, there are some things that the government's doing that I cannot be in compliance with it. Okay. 
Well, Pastor, can you take us to the throne as we get ready to close out this podcast for this week? Okay. Our loving Father, we thank you that we can chat a little bit on your word and to be able to see what's in the Torah and how we should govern our citizenship while we are in this world. But we realize, Lord, that our citizenship is not in this world, but it's in the world to come. And we can only use the premise of the earthly government to be able to promote the heavenly government in order to accomplish the things that you would have us to. Continue to bless each person who listens, Lord, that they may not only have answers to their questions, but have the substance, Lord, that is needed in order to rightly serve you. And as we continue week by week, that the power of the Holy Spirit may guide us into truths, Lord, that may be the foundation of helping us to prepare for the kingdom of Elohim, that eventually he will be our king again as he takes over the throne of David. And we ask, so have the Father, that as we continue to look at the son of Elohim, that we can be able to recognize that he is the son of the Most High, and he is the one that's going to come king of kings and lord of lords to be able to redeem us from this planet. But we must believe that he is your son. So keep us, for we cannot keep ourselves. Continue to bless my host. Continue to bless me and bless all of our families, O Heavenly Father, that you will give us the things, Lord, that we stand in, in need. And as we go through the last days, that we may have the necessary things that we need in order to cope with the difficulties that is coming up in our society on this planet to be able to detour us from you that we may have the things to be able to help us to be steadfast and firm in the things that you have given to us. Now bless us and if it be your will, bring us back again next week when we shall be talking about the conclusion of this particular series and also the things that is going on to make relevant why Yeshua is the son of the most high. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it, and for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. We want to remind you, we will be celebrating a Feast of Trumpets on September the 28th, and next week we will have the times for you that we will be celebrating, that you can join us live right here on YouTube, on the Science of the Covenant, or on our website at psychov.com. Remember, Wednesday... September the 28th, Feast of Trumpets. That is our podcast for this week. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. Know therefore that Yahuwah is Elohim, the faithful El, which guards the covenant, guards his covenant, and the mercy with them that love him and guard his commandments to a thousand generations. Until next week, Shalom.